Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com and I will discuss Florida's win over Vanderbilt. Um, We will talk about the Princeton offense and why incorporating uh, more Princeton sets has helped uh, Florida's offense improve drastically in the last uh, three weeks. And we'll preview a challenging home game against the Georgia team that's vastly improved um, in addition to taking a host of listener questions so we hope you enjoy and if you have time please remember to go ahead and subscribe to our show on itunes or give us a rating um, or spotify or stitcher any of the platforms that you can find us thanks again for listening and enjoy the show Hey everybody, I'm Neil Blackman, and this is the Florida Basketball Hour. We are going to talk about Florida's fifth win in a row, um, exercising some demons at Memorial Gym, and and I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, I thought one of the most important things that happened last night was that Florida jumped out early. Yeah, it seems like uh, they, they kind of defend well enough that if they ever seem to get leads... Uh, they've started to be better at controlling them. And I know that they earlier in the season let some of those leads slip just by, by not executing offensively. But at the same time, if um, the way Florida plays defense, if, uh, if Florida gets a double digit lead, I mean, it, it's tough for other teams to come back on them. And uh, Florida is also taking mm-hmm. care of the ball pretty well. So it's not like teams can get easy steals off them to come back. So uh, that was kind of the story of the game. I mean, Florida got out to, to double digits in uh, in the first half and, uh, that was a, that was about the uh, you know they stretched it out a little bit there in the second to sixteen, but it was kind of like they got a lead and they they maintained it. So just like you mentioned, just getting that that initial burst was uh, was really important. I thought that um, did kind of what was what was neat and maybe another sign of this team's growth. And you hinted at it is that it's not just that they're getting leads; it's that they defend well enough to keep them and then they've withstood runs in in this winning streak. Obviously three of these games have come on the road and, you know, every time in the second half, there's been a moment where you're kind of like, Oh no, is it wavering just a little? I mean, even last night, Florida went a few minutes without scoring and it got down to nine or 10, I think might've even been seven at one point. And, and Florida just has an answer every time. Right. And, uh, you know, college basketball is a low possession game. So uh, it seems like yeah, it's it's pretty tough to balloon a lead up to 25 like you see in the NBA. So there was, yeah, there was times where it was nine points and Vanderbilt had the ball. And if, if uh, you know, Aaron Neesmith hits a step back three like he uh, he did a whole bunch in the first matchup, but couldn't do the second one. Uh, that's a, you know, that it kind of ignited the crowd that was pretty quiet in Nashville. Uh, that could be a different game. And uh, yeah, they just never had uh, the Gators never allowed for that um that kind of punch from Vanderbilt to come back in. And uh, I do think that's impressive. And I think that's a thing that's, uh, that really kind of uh, is helping the confidence of this team, because I would say that if I was playing on the Gators, uh, I, I mean, I think that a, blowing a lead, blowing a lead once that could really rattle your confidence, but the Gators have blown a lot of leads this year and ended up losing. So I think that that's been a, a major hit to their confidence and just every one of these games where they can get a lead and hold it. Um, just like we had a, you know, when they played Alabama on the road and won, and and now Vanderbilt on the road. Uh, just the, any of these games where they can kind of maintain a lead and just kind of take care of it, I think is I think is big for confidence. I think that one thing you, I mean, and you set up the next question really, really well, uh, <laughs> as you're prone to do, I guess. Um, the Andrew Nimhart of the Florida basketball hour, uh, Canadian and everything. Um, <laughs> What what did Florida do to 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 really rattle Aaron and Naismith? Because it wasn't that also that he took bad shots. Because I thought his shot selection was poor, um, but he was also you know rattled at times. Like I mean, you saw him interacting with Florida players, or I don't know if you did, but you could see him kind of interacting with Florida players, and his body language was bad. And Florida really frustrated him last night. It's obviously a priority in their scout after getting. Uh, skinned by him pretty good in Gainesville yeah I think a lot of it was just kind of sitting on his right hip this time around and not letting because I what, what happened was, was uh, in the first matchup I think was that they tried to just kind of guard him straight up and uh, that gave him the chance to uh, to beat them to either side um, and that kind of distorted Florida's defense and that's how he got 26 points is that he 
Uh, he was able to just get by his initial defender and, and make things happen once he got there. And I thought this time, they, in, instead of, you know, sitting back and trying to uh, deter the drive that way, they actually kind of got into him but sat on his right shoulder and kind of pushed him to the left. And um, by doing that, it's not just like, oh, we think he's a weak hand ball handler with his left hand. Um, let's make it tougher for him. Um, that's not even it necessarily. It was just, um, hey, I'm going to sit on his right hip. So anyone who knows, anyone who's not guarding the ball right now, the other four players on the court, um, they, they know he's only got one way to go, and that's to whatever side his left is. And then they can kind of adjust accordingly. If the help side defender could step up, uh, people in position to help the helper kind of knew what was happening. And it just made for a really kind of connected defense. And uh, once, uh, once he kind of went into the paint a few times and, and realized that Florida was there waiting for him, um, uh, that's when we started to see he went to that step back a few times because that was available to him with, uh, you know, Nemhart sitting on his right hip. He could drive to his left and then step back to his left. Um, uh, and overall, I, you know, he can make those shots. He didn't really make them last night. So I think that that, uh, that benefited the Gators. And um, unfortunately, that's a team that doesn't have a lot of firepower. So by, uh, by taking him out of the game, I thought that's what uh, kind of won it for the Gators. Florida's guard play in this winning streak. Uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting that Florida had, you know, in their two losses prior to this winning streak, had games where their guards were really outclassed uh, against Auburn and again against Tennessee. And then the Gators come back and, and really guard play has kind of defined this winning streak uh, alongside Keontae Johnson, whatever position you want to <laughs> assign him. Uh, but they get they get 17 points in 34 minutes from Jalen Hudson last night. He goes without a turnover. Technically, I, I felt like he had one turnover because he, he basically had his pocket picked once and it led to a layup. But uh, they gave that turnover to Nimhard, which is unfair because it was Nimhard's only turnover. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what, what have you seen in Florida's guards during this winning streak that, that you've liked so much and even accepting for the fact that, you know, in some of these games, Kayvon Allen has not shot the ball well. Uh, so not only was that Andrew Nemhart's only turnover, but he also had only one missed shot. And that was where he was like very obviously fouled in the last couple of minutes of the game. And they just kind of like, <laughs> Put it away. He said so and on I, the TV interview, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, so it's just a, it is funny that his one turnover was like, I don't know. I certainly don't think it was a turnover. And then his one, uh, his one missed shot that kept him from another perfect game was, uh, yeah, I thought a, a, a hack across the arms. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but Nemhard is playing super confidently, and he's, he plays the game at his tempo. And I really appreciate that. Uh, I, think that um, I think that the change to the offense that they're currently running is, is really helping him for sure. But he just has this kind of uh, calmness about him that I think is, uh, I think is kind of contagious with the team where, where Andrew Nemhart just can kind of slow things down and, uh, and other, other people on the Gators kind of like that tempo too. And uh, we also just saw that again against teams that like to play faster, like LSU, like Alabama, uh, that, uh, that Nemhart's ability to play the game at uh, the tempo that Gators wanted at um, is really helpful. So, uh, that's been good just on its own right there. And then you add in the fact that he has been knocking down the jump shot and has been able to, uh, to have a couple nice finishes inside. Uh, just the fact that, for, you know, we know he's going to pass the ball really well and be a very good kind of true point guard. So on the nights like last night where he has 19 points, I mean, that's, uh, that's just really, really elite play. Yeah. Uh, Jalen, you mentioned Jalen Hudson hitting some shots, uh, three of seven, from from downtown, making him eight of twenty one uh, during this winning streak, or at least in his last four games, rather. Which uh, that's that's much higher percentage. Um, and last night, you know, Jalen took his usual share of bad shots, but it was one of those days where his shot looked better to me. I don't know about you, than it really has all season. Last night, like a lot of the the bad shots that he missed looked like they were probably going to go in or be close to going in and it was one of those nights where you kind of remember the the saying you know shoot to get hot and shoot to stay hot yeah that maybe looked a little bit better um it's just it's one of those things that even at his, at his best last year his jump shot never looked really the same or, or repeatable so yeah i mean it uh, wasn't a work of art don't get me wrong right, it just... but, it, but it also wasn't last year even when he was hitting the shots so that's why that's why it's a little tough to uh to kind of say um how much if it's uh you know looking better but uh, again, he had some good, uh, some good jaw, some good plays getting the ball into the paint, and I think that's the the number one thing for him is that uh, he's got to be a little bit more of a of a slasher, a little more of a, a guy that can get the ball into the paint because uh, I don't know how much that three point shot is going to be there. Um, even just like 
Uh, even some of the good shots he took. I mean, he had one last night where he was wide open and had a catch and shoot three, which is awesome. Those are, those are the shots he needs to be taking. Um, and I mean, it just barely grazed the front of the rim. And uh, those are the ones that are just, uh, I feel for him because, um, like I said, I, you know, people like me have been kind of getting on him for his, for his shot selection. And there was a really, really good shot he took in it. And it, that one wasn't particularly close. But um, I think. Yeah, that's, that's uh, true. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I do think he's defending better. Um, I thought he had some some more good bursts, uh, good bursts yesterday. And um, if he can kind of be a be a better def- defensive player and uh, generate some turnovers that way, I think he's gonna like, maybe. I guess he's uh, he's earned a couple of those uh, some of those heat checks. I think he had three steals last night. So I mean, hey, if he's gonna generate he those extra possessions uh, and he can get a half uh, half decent look from three uh, to pull, I, I'd say he earned one or two of them. But um, even even just pulling a. Uh, he had a couple shots where he pulled up in the mid-range and, and hit them, and, and I kind of appreciated that just because uh, um, for anyone who maybe uh, might have – I wrote on Gator Country a little while ago about uh, – last week or so about um, just kind of how Jalen Hudson and how his game has progressed, and one of the things I pointed out was that he just takes way too many floaters and that even though he hasn't been a great mid-range shooter, those are still better shots from him than, um, than floaters. Um, where floaters are a shot that I, I – any person who's into analytics will tell you they are the worst shot in basketball. And uh, Jalen Hudson shot a lot of them, but anyways, I, I kind of like that. He took more, um, <laughs> instead of just driving into the paint for tough floaters, he did get past his man a little bit and, uh, and take a mid range shot and, uh, and they fell. Yeah. I mean, he had one, he had one last night that I actually texted Eric about and, and said uh, something about how he passed up the floater and then missed the three foot layup. Yeah. Right? But, <laughs> but, but I still was like, okay with, with him deciding that he wanted to try the layup, even though it was kind of vintage Jalen Hudson to miss the shot at the rim. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to, I guess, I guess the thing, the biggest thing to me is just that he seems more confident and he seems more comfortable in his role. And um, whether that's the, the, the way that they're running the offense or whether that's that, you know, he's been able to actually get his offense going by playing better defensively, which I think there might be something too. And, and Eric wrote about that at Gator country that, you know, the, the fact that Jalen's been asked to play a little bigger uh, has helped his defense because his weaknesses defensively are farther away from the basket. Um, so I think that's really big. And Florida needed it last night on a night where Kevin Allen was not particularly good. No, that was I, – I, it was kind of interesting because uh, whatever Kevin Allen now, when he has these, uh, these slow first halves, uh, that usually means that I'm kind of waiting for him to uh, maybe get explosive in the second half. And uh, and yeah, that one uh, that one didn't come, but luckily they didn't need it. Do you hear me right now? Yeah, now I hear you. Okay. Okay. So you were saying about Kevin Allen? Hello. Hello. Hmm. Oh, okay, I got you oh. back now. What did you? Okay, cool. Oh, sorry about that. What were? No, where were we at there? Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, we were at Kayvon Allen, and we we're just talking about his slow first half. Oh. Yeah. So, anyways, when uh, when he has those slow first halves, it seems like he's gotten kind of uh, he's had a couple ones where he obviously has gotten a lot hotter in the second, and uh, and that has been really great. But um, I, that wasn't there. That wasn't there for him. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if he. Uh, you know, maybe he didn't care for the shooting backdrop in uh, in Memorial, as that has been one of his kind of problems. But um, another another uh, another game where he also struggled to uh, to to score on the inside, um, and I think that's obviously we just kind of know that's one of his limitations. Um, but other than that, he uh, he still played some pretty good defense and, and was kind of part of the uh, the group of guys that was on uh, on Neesmith that that played a lot better defense. So he, uh, um, as you always like to point out, um, when uh, when I'm kind of ragging on his offensive game, he he did bring it on the defensive end. Yeah, no, he, I think you can count on Kayvon to show up defensively. Uh, I think think that that lunch pail is is in, um, and we have a couple years of receipts on that now. So uh, that was good. Uh, another thing that was good was Kavarius Hayes. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, the way he was able to finish. Um, so, like, talk about it, talk about players gaining confidence. Um, I think he's a player that looks a lot more confident every time he gets the ball in his hands. And uh, I also think that if you're a big man playing with Andrew Nemhart, you're going to get um, opportunities to score. And uh, I do think that um, whether it's playing with Andrew Nemhart, whether it's the work of uh, Al Pinkins, I know a lot of people are saying like, 
uh, hey, this must be Alping. It's because Kamari Hayes is getting a lot better, and that that certainly could be the case. Um, whatever it is, uh, he's doing a lot better. And um, the thing about the thing about Kavari Hayes is like you know Hayes had 14 points last night, and uh, and it was really just kind of quiet, like a quiet 14 points because he just um, it's not like they kind of run plays primarily for him. It's uh, him being there to catch a ball near the deep mm-hmm. and and, fi- and being able to finish. So uh, those points are just um, yeah, those are just really valuable points. I think where it's not like um, it's not like, uh, hey, we need to run a play for Kayvon Allen or, hey, let's give an isolation for Jalen Hudson. It's, hey, let's kind of run our normal offense. And when we dump it down to Hayes, we, uh, we know we, he, we kind of have the confidence in to finish um, a little bit better than we did uh, earlier in his career. Yeah, I thought one thing that, was, what, that speaks to the confidence that the team has in him and in his growth this season um, was, was the fact that, you know, again, when the game narrowed, uh, to about 55-45. I mean, Florida ran three straight possessions where they went down to Kavarius Hayes uh, and and were confident, like, let's go get him a touch. And, you know, he made a basket on one of them and got fouled on the other and hit three of the four three free throws. So uh, his his free throw stroke looks better. You can tell that he's worked on that aspect of his game as well. And, um, you know, just, just a – or sorry, he hit all of his free throws. I just said he hit three or four. <laughs> sorry, Kavarius. Yeah, he was perfect. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you had told me that in important possessions in the second half uh, of a game at Vanderbilt this season in February, Florida would be running three consecutive sets through Kavarius Hayes. Uh, I would have said the Gators are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That is, that is a shock to me, but Hey, it's working out. And if they've got that, uh, that in the arsenal a little bit, um, why, you know, why not try to, uh, uh, why not? You, you never know what kind of matchup they'll have here in the postseason, or or anything like that, or if they can um if they can kind of get switches because uh, if you play a team like uh, that's going to switch a lot of screens, you could get that uh, that isolation with Kavarius Hayes on the post against the guard. Why it's kind of good to know that um, he kind of has that ability to finish over the top, and uh, why not try to use it? Yeah, and they limited his minutes last night. I think it ended up being by design because he he played twenty two and. He wasn't in foul trouble, so they weren't sitting him. Um, but they got 11 minutes out of Dante Bassett, who didn't score, but I thought was pretty productive, uh, very active on the glass. And then Isaiah Stokes, who came in and did his usual one-shot-per-minute stuff. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a, there was some, definitely some hustle by Dante Bassett on that one possession, getting those offensive rebounds. And um, Yeah, I think that uh, right now I'd say that the 11 minutes for Dante Bassett might be kind of the uh, – the, the max for him, but um, uh, I think that he, uh, the fact that he know, probably knows that he's not going to play major minutes means he can get out there and really hustle. So uh, I kind of uh, always appreciate to see when he can um, kind of use that burst off the bench and, and get an extra possession for the Gators. Um, I mean, we could go to listener questions unless you had anything that you wanted to, to get into. Um, maybe quick. Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, this being another game where, where, uh, DeAndre Ballard is out of the rotation. Well, that's in a listener question, so it sounds oh. like we can move forward. Hey, never mind. Let's uh, let's go to listener questions. <laughs> so, um, we'll just start with the the big one first, which was uh, Rick Denise, um and a couple other people. But Rick Denise has been a, a longtime listener of the show, so we'll start with Rick's question about um, what Florida's done in terms of of its Princeton offense and why. Uh, what we mean when we talk about the Princeton offense and, and why has it made Florida better? So a two-parter. All right. Uh, why don't I just talk a little bit about um, how it's made Florida better, and then you can talk a little bit more about the, uh, the X's and O's maybe a little bit. But um, Sure. Um, I would say just um, uh, before Neil kind of – Neil's kind of going to break it down a little bit more, but I would say that the Princeton offense, um, what makes it kind of effective is that it's, uh, it, it uses a lot of just screens, like back screens, um, kind of chin cuts as they call them a lot of times, but we'll say a lot of back screens that just get the, uh, get the player without the ball cutting towards the hoop, as opposed to a lot of other kind of um, uses of screen setting. That's like a side ball screen to, um, to get someone kind of loose going left or right to get, uh, to get space or like a down screen to free up a shooter, like a, like a Noah lock. Um, but the Princeton uses a lot of back screens and that uses a lot of action that gets players towards the hoop. And um, I think that that's uh, for a Gators team that doesn't have players who can manufacture getting the ball towards the hoop with the dribble, something that we've talked about lots. Uh, this kind of gives uh, gives an offense where it's not about um, freeing someone up on the perimeter for a jump shot or about 
um, getting a screen and roll opportunity to, to get some space for a ball handler. Um, this is a way to kind of get players getting towards the hoop um, just with the, uh, with the pass and with back screens. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, the idea is, uh, I think it, it, it helps you get towards the basket when you're not blessed with the athleticism that other teams have often to get people towards the basket, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that that's one of the reasons it's appealing is that you don't really have to be super big or super athletic to, to run it effectively. It doesn't, I mean, it's not like an offense that rejects that. <laughs> that would be silly. But um, it definitely is, is an offense designed to kind of level the playing ground uh, a little bit for, for teams that are a little more limited. There's, there's basically three variants of it. Um, there's the chin cut type Princeton offense. Uh, Florida likes to run a lot of stuff out of the, the chin cut. They don't, it's not very diverse. And I'm going to jump back to Eric on that in a second. Um, and then there's a second called the low post. Florida does none of that. Um, and then a third called the point. And this is the one that I think Florida has had the most success with, with, um, in their normal motion offense, although, you know, they've certainly incorporated these chin actions as well. Uh, so in the high point Princeton offense, you've got two guards and you're going to have two wings. Uh, in Florida's case, it's really like two more guards. And then you have a center who's very low. Um, and the first thing that happens in any instance is that the, uh, is that the two guard, which in Florida's case is usually Kayvon Allen, but sometimes it's Jalen Hudson, flash through the center of the lane to the weak side. Uh, And after that action happens, the post comes from the center, uh, or the center comes from the post. See, Eric, I can't even talk right without a diagram. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's going to come up to the elbow, or sometimes even higher in Florida's case, and he'll usually get a bounce pass from the point guard. So, if you've ever watched Florida, let's just stop right there. If you've watched a Florida, naturally seen Andrew Nimhard throw a post to Kavarius Hayes where you hold your breath on the bounce pass because Kavarius Hayes is blanketed by a defender. That is by design, okay? Um, and then from that spot, you can pretty much run – well, Florida runs – how many would you say, Eric? Two or three actions out of that, really? Yeah, that's that's it? Say. Okay, so the first one is you get a cut – from the point guard towards the basket. Uh, what's the freeze frame record scratch thing? <laughs> you see freeze frame record scratch. This is that cut that Nimhard usually makes where if you're like me, you kind of your eyes raise and you're like, man, maybe that'll be open. And it, it's almost never open. It's really almost never available where the first pass can go to the cutter there. So um, the second option usually is that what's called an away screen is set. And that away screen comes at the elbow and someone flashes from the wing under it. And it also opens space beyond it. And sometimes that action is available and it creates a three pointer. Uh, and other times you can actually go to the wing. Um, Florida doesn't really go to the wing that much because they just don't have the guy to do it yet. And Kathy Johnson, they use it a little differently. And then the third one, is you can pick and roll or high ball screen with the center. Um, Especially if you have a good driving guard or a guard who's confident enough to get in the paint and then can make the right pass. And I think the third one is really the one that Florida has been more successful with lately. And that, in my opinion, I'm interested in Eric's thoughts, has kind of changed Florida's offense a little because they've committed to that third guy who, sure, he can play pick and roll if he wants, but a lot of times he'll just kind of forget about the screening action and drive away from the pick and roll. And there's usually space in there and they can get fouled or they can draw help, which Eric has consistently said. One of the biggest fundamental principles of offense and basketball is can you create help and get space for other players? Florida's been better at that. They've been better at drawing fouls, so I think it's helped them. But I'm going to let Eric kind of comment on what I said and then maybe talk about chin cuts. And I hope I didn't confuse anybody. I tried to be thorough. Yeah, no, I, I think you did as good as you could without a diagram. But um, but no, I, I do think that, um, yeah, it's gotten a, 
kind of I, well, what what you said I think was really interesting is the fact that um, the fact that Florida is using a lot less um, ball screens now, and a lot of times when they do use ball screens, um, it's like Neil said, where they like reject the screen. Um, it's kind of the term too, like where they don't use the screen but they go away from it. But just the act of bringing a screener up towards the ball handler um, means that one of the primary help defenders is now not sitting in the paint. They've had to uh, to come up to uh, to potentially guard a screen and roll. Um, and yeah, there's something that's, uh, that's also been pretty effective has been, uh, as yeah, been the chin cut, something I really like that's, um, if you can think of a lot of the, the layups that Andrew Nemhart has gotten, where it would be, um, like say, uh, you've got Kavarius Hayes kind of in the high post and then Kayvon Allen and, and Andrew Nemhart just kind of at both kind of guard spots and Andrew Nemhart will throw the ball to Kayvon Allen and then he'll just cut straight towards the rim. Who's getting a back cut from Kavarius Hayes. And that kind of, that's the, the chin action that's. That then gets um, gets the ball down low to uh, to Andrew Nemhard, who's been able to finish a few times. So, uh, and then just one thing that's really interesting about that is that is actually like kind of the really e- Florida actually just runs a lot of the really like easy actions out of the uh, out of the Princeton offense. Kind of just like yeah. a lot of the main like like really what Florida does is they kind of run something that's inspired by Princeton offense, but it really isn't true Princeton offense. And something me and Neil were talking about. I'll probably kind of throw it back to him. Actually, he'll talk about this more, but. Um, there's actually just like a lot of places that Florida can go with what they do because they actually run a really, really basic form of it. And I don't say that, I'm not saying that insultingly or anything. It's, it's working for them. Um, but yeah, it's actually, uh, they're, they're kind of just taking uh, kind of the, uh, the final actions of the Princeton offense and have been effective with them. But something to watch uh, that'll be interesting will be next year. Do they, um, do they kind of uh, put more of the actions in it and make it a little more of the, the traditional um, Princeton offense that we kind of saw a lot of the uh, in the 80s and 90s that saw um, a whole lot of backdoor cut actions um, that just really kind of forces the defense to uh, to have to make a whole lot of reads because a lot of times it'll be um, dribble handoff into a back screen so, so uh, once the dribble handoff is already made that guy is kind of cutting so someone has to a player will have to guard a dribble handoff and then immediately feel a screen on their back that they're going to have to fight through. And then once they get through that, then it gets into the kind of chin action. And if that's not there, they swing it to the wing, which is um, what Neil was talking about. And the, the offense can actually get really complex and, and difficult. And right now uh, Florida hasn't used all of it yet, but um, uh, they might be kind of moving forward because uh, this offense has been, uh, has been definitely helping them out, even just the simplified version they're running. Yeah, no, I think that's uh that's that's really true and and look i mean there's you know the the historic ones are princeton of course who it's named after and and uh georgetown under both john thompson's um and then there's some more modern ones uh one of whom is or was for a while the richmond spiders uh, i thought runner ran a really unique variant of it and then early j Wright teams ran something that's kind of modified like sort of similar to what Florida's doing now, really, which was like, I feel like, to, and I'm interested in Eric's thoughts on this. I, I think to some extent, Florida does this, and Eric just kind of hinted at it, so maybe he agrees with me, is that I think Florida just does this to kind of settle themselves down to some extent. Like, they run that first Princeton action, and it's just a way of initiating things instead of, you know, what do we do? How do we space the floor in our motion or dribble drive offense? Yeah, it really is. It, it really is just kind of a normal motion offense with um... – just kind of those simple actions out of the Princeton just to, to kick it off. And, uh, and that's kind of a good starting point, kind of a, a little bit of a hybrid between the motion that, uh, that Coach White wants to run and um, just kind of something that also is, is maybe a little bit more, more structured just for a moment to, to kind of start things off. Uh, one thing I'll say too is um, I wouldn't say that it's, um, it's uh, again, definitely not the traditional Princeton offense, but honestly, if you watch the Golden State Warriors play, they do a whole, whole lot of back screening. And that's kind of what really gets them all these open three-point looks is the fact that they yep. back screen so much and it makes teams have to get in the paint because if you back screen someone and the defense doesn't adjust, uh, that's a layup. And that's why I really like these offenses that require that, that kind of utilize back screens a whole lot is because it, they really force uh, they really force action from the defense to adjust. So uh, just kind of watching the way the Golden State plays, uh, they, again, don't run a true Princeton offense by any means, but if you watch just the way that they use so many back screens, um, uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of really kind of Princeton inspired. And uh, one other thing I'll say, just because uh, I think it's uh, definitely of note, um, kind of when Florida was uh, was uh, in their kind of losing streak against Kentucky, uh, or sorry, when they kind of started that losing streak against Kentucky, and then 
um, Auburn and Tennessee, which was one of their kind of tougher offensive stretches. They were kind of as low as 110 in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. And uh, after last night, they're, they're up to 64th. So they've really been climbing over the winning streak. And um, obviously, they've played some opponents that aren't great, but also this is an adjusted number. So it's not like it's just the, the raw points Florida's been able to put up. So um, I do think that Florida, that kind of just shows how much, um, how much better Florida's offense has been. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I actually tweeted that out last night. I said, you know, during during the last uh, three weeks, Florida's gone from 113th to whatever they are now. So, uh, you know, there were whispers that this would be the worst Florida offensive basketball team since Donovan's final season. It, it now looks safe to say that, that they may even finish better than White's first team uh, offensively. And that's just with this little adjustment now. Of course, there's a tough basketball game to play against Kentucky still that could hurt it a little bit, but uh, yeah. And oh, Gonzaga was another team I wanted to mention in terms of that back screening, and just that they have kind of a continuity pick and roll offense. That I mean, we don't want to get too heavy with this and confuse listeners, <laughs> but but uh, very reliant on sort of those Princetonian back screen principles as well. Yeah, I, I really think that like the true Princeton offense kind of has a reputation of being one of those kind of like slow kind of methodical pre-shot clock um, offenses. Um, but I, but I think that there's a kind of, there's some really good concepts to there that again, like I said, I'll, I'll kind of relate to the fact that if you don't, if you have a defense that can't guard, like even, you know, you see teams that are so reliant on the pick and roll. Um, if you kind of blow a pick and roll coverage, uh, a lot of times you can kind of still kind of scramble and recover. Um, if you blow coverage of a, of a back screen, it is a layup 100% of the time. So I, I think that it just kind of – there's kind of those nuggets to the Princeton offense that I think are really, really, um, really, really good. And I think that it's, uh, it's really wise that uh, it's kind of become something that Florida runs. So we have a question from Jared Villamar who is building on the uh, Princeton questions, and he just wants to know if, if either of us have any idea what took so long for the changes. Um, and my short answer is that I think Florida was – certainly running chin sets in November um, that, that that sort of some of this, this high point sets that I was talking about are, are what's newer. Um, but I'm going to let Eric kind of <laughs> take a guess at that. Yeah. If he wants. I mean, this is an awesome question because I was actually going to write an article on this and then I just didn't think there was enough there. So it said, I'll just talk about it for, a it is a great question here. by the way, Jim. <laughs> because uh, what I was I was actually wondering, I was thinking to myself, hey, Florida's offense wasn't great last year. Um, did they ever try something like this? So I actually looked back and watched some, uh, some of the kind of film from, from last year's games. I picked uh, just a, a couple of Florida's big games, a couple of the ones where they were particularly good offensively, and then a couple of the ones when they were particularly bad. And um, I, I honestly, if I'm going to be honest with everybody, I never noticed Florida running the Princeton kind of concepts last year. Um, but this year when I went back and actually looked at it, kind of looking for it, I actually saw that they were actually, I, like, I actually think that Mike White was trying to institute some of the stuff last year. And I don't think it really worked out. And this is a uh, part of it. I, I think from what I was watching was that I don't think that it was very good for Chris Chioza. I don't think it really worked for him. And part of it is because of the, the chin cut kind of series that I thought that Florida is using a lot this year. Um, yeah, it requires you to be able to go dump that ball into, uh, into your, your Andrew Nemhart essentially in our role and, and have him be able to finish. And there was a whole lot of times where um, that pass down to Chris Chioza happened and he had, there was zero part of him that was thinking about finishing through contact or taking a bigger defender and, and laying it in against him. And it was actually kind of interesting because uh, there was actually a lot of times where I'm like, oh, that, that is actually the Princeton, but the play kind of died once it got to him in the post because that just is not the way that he's kind of built to finish. So um, I, it's kind of interesting because I, I definitely never noticed it last year, but now that I went back and with kind of with the eye of like, Hey, I, I wonder if Florida was actually trying to run this. I didn't notice it. And yeah, I actually think that's the case. And um, they, they also tried it a little bit differently with um, a lot of uh, instead of like right now, they've got Kavarius Hayes as kind of the, the one big running at the, at the top. Um, they did it a lot last year with kind of um, Kulichov, kind of running it, and I don't think he was great for it. And then the other thing was that also meant that Kavari Hayes was on the floor and um, was not the one kind of being the screener and the dribble handoff kind of guy at the top. So he had to be on the floor as well. So a lot of times he was in the kind of in the low post in, the, in a drop-off spot, but that totally changed the way this floor was spaced. And um, 
Yeah, so this is much you know, longer than probably he expected of an answer and that you probably expected, Neil. But I actually did look for this, and I do think Florida tried it. I don't think their personnel was quite as good, and um, that was a, that's kind of why I think that it took a long time to get in. I like it. Uh, Ryan Ball, what's with the disappearance of DeAndre Ballard? Uh, do you think he transfers after the season? Um, Ryan, not going to talk about transfers yet. I'm not, I'm not copying out. I'm just – well, yes, I am. I'm copying out, but I'm also teasing, like, the first couple shows when the season ends. Uh, hopefully not for a while yet, but when it ends, uh, Eric and I are going to talk about the roster. Um, as for Ballard, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, what, two games in a row now. After after playing 15 minutes against Alabama, he's hardly played at all in a week. So, strange. Um and, you know, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, um, I just think that right now I'm, I'm just not really sure where his, where his identity lies as a basketball player, uh, just in the sense that uh, his jump shot just really isn't there and his offense isn't totally there. And he's also just taken a lot of bad shots. He's had turnover problems. And uh, while I think he's a pretty good defender, um, I, I think he's got tons of great potential as a defender, but I don't think it's all there right now. Um, so I just, as an identity, I just don't think – if Mike White is, is looking kind of in a substitution pattern and saying, okay, with this group, I want um, kind of a wing that can score. Well, that's, uh, that's not where he's not looking to Ballard. And if he says, Hey, I, I really need to, we really need to get some stops here. I'm not really sure he's looking in Ballard's direction. So um, I think it's just, yeah, it's a little bit of a struggle for him to, uh, to kind of command minutes right now. And um, he's another guy where uh, just kind of like Jalen Hudson, where, his finishing numbers inside are actually are, are really, really good. Um, I also wrote about that in an article about kind of Florida's interior scoring. Um, but he just hasn't taken enough shots there and instead has settled for just way, way too many um, bad jump shots. And um, I think he's just kind of, he's, we, I think everyone sees that there's some potential there, but he just has so much ironing out to do to, uh, to kind of get to the good stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree. Dominic Rivado wants to know, uh, what would you guys credit most to Hudson's resurgence offensively? Uh, and what does the emergence of Nimhard's jump shot mean for Florida offensively? So I'll do the first one. Um, and I would just say that we kind of hinted at it earlier uh, that, that I, you know, some of it is just his willingness to be a driver, his willingness to go to the basket. Um, you know, he's, he's gotten fouled. He shot more free throws in the last seven games then he shot in from November to January. So, uh, and I did the math. On that. <laughs> um, so that kind of tells you where he's changed in terms of his commitment to attack the basket. Um, and I don't think he's great at finishing through contact, um, but he's at least been willing to do it. And, you know, last night he took one floater in the second half and I tweeted or the late in the first half that I tweeted about, uh, you know, so he had something along the lines of my kingdom for him and Allen not to take a running floater in the middle of the lane. Um, but then he didn't do one in the second half and, uh, you know, instead doing the jump shot. So Eric kind of talked about that stuff. You know, he's going to take bad shots. It's kind of who he is at this point. It's not going to change for a fifth year senior, but if he's committed to going to the basket, that's a lot better. And I'll let Eric talk about the impact of Andrew Nimhart's jump shot, which I do think has, I think is fundamentally improved. Right. And I mean, he's uh, he's, he has knocking him down. Uh, there's obviously just the, uh, the aspect of if Florida is going to try to get the ball inside a little bit more, which they're doing, it's nice to have guys who can space the floor, like, uh, like an Andrew Nimhart. And we, that's, that's kind of the three point shots we saw um, yesterday. And I'll also say one of the big kind of, uh, one of the great things about him being able to knock down his jump shots, these last, uh, these last few games is the fact that it has made screen and roll a lot more effective when they've chosen to use it. Uh, I think that the, the, the pick and roll was not super effective for the Gators kind of earlier this season. And a lot of it was due to the fact that Andrew Nemhart was not a threat to, uh, to like, so if, if they said a screen and roll, someone could just slip under the screen because they weren't scared that he would just stop and, and pull a three point shot. Um, he also wasn't uh you know, he's not, wasn't great at finishing in the mid range or getting to and finishing. So um, we saw that against TCU, especially where they really just uh, went over screens, pushed him into the paint and said, Hey, like make something happen. So uh, he's, and he's gotten a lot better in that area too. But I would say that uh, just the fact that, uh, that defenses are scared that he can make that jump shot. It just totally changes the way that they can guard. 
uh, when they kind of kind of comes to screen and roll, and that's gonna that kind of opens things up for everyone. So, uh, just for a player who has not had a ton of offensive diversity in the way that he can score, suddenly we're seeing him being able to score a lot better at the hoop, and we're also seeing him knock down three pointers. And uh, that's when we see uh, we see games like last night where he's uh, should have been perfect from the field, and um, and also yeah, just provides 19 points while also being a pass first guy. Yeah. No, I think that's a great answer. Um, Matt Perry, speaking of Andrew Nimhard, asked, what did you guys think of Nimhard playing 37 minutes while battling knee tendonitis in a game that Florida was up 15-ish, especially in the last five minutes? Is it important to finish strong, or maybe should we have given him some rest there? Uh, I mean, I think that's that's a fair criticism. You know, maybe maybe they could have removed him from the game a couple minutes earlier. What I would say is that um, – you know, Michael Karu got hurt, I think. I think he's okay, but he didn't come in again after the injury. So Florida's bench was kind of limited in that regard. Yeah, uh, they, you could also say the same. And I know that it was kind of said that Noah Locke's injury wouldn't, uh, wouldn't necessarily respond to rest. But yeah, last night, another game where he plays 33 minutes. So, okay, so I, I mean, the one, the one part is my gut reaction is, yeah, I, I kind of find it wild that they've been rolling out these guys. Um, for so many minutes. Uh, the other thing I'll say though is uh, the the net rankings that college basketball uses now um, they factor in your offensive de- and defensive efficiency. So um, if uh, that kind of means that every possession matters, uh, regardless of if it's um, zero zero or sixty to fifty nine, or if it's whatever Florida won by last night seventy one to fifty five, uh, it's uh, it, because they're like because your offensive and defensive efficiency kind of um, is factored into that ranking. It means that it is kind of smart to keep your starters in. I think that it's, um, it, it incentivizes teams to run up a score. And we have seen that in college basketball. And there was a, there was a game. Um, oh, I forget who Florida state was playing now, but I mean, I was tweeting about it. I was making fun of Florida state, but um, their other team that, you know, they were down by like 20, the other team put in their walk-ons and Florida state put in their starters and started full court pressing with like 90 seconds left down 20. Uh, but they made up 10 points and in the net rankings that matters. So I will say, and I don't know if Mike White, that's Mike White's thinking. I will say we saw the walk-ons a lot more last year than we saw this year. So I, I bet that he does know that um, it kind of matters to to get the margin of victory kind of larger and to kind of keep scoring instead of just um, giving up empty possessions just to run out the clock. So uh, there's part of me that wonders if that kind of plays a role in, in why he's uh, still kind of riding the starter so hard. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, those are all um, pretty pretty interesting points, and I didn't know that. Uh, you know, I think I had heard that Ned did that, but well, certainly it's certainly not an angle that I I had thought of in terms of uh, in terms of you know late game minutes. Well, here's here's the thing. Um, about, here's the thing with the Net too is that they because they in terms of margin of victory, like in terms of how they view wins, because like so so it's capped at like twelve or something. So it's like they will view a 12 point win different than a one point win. So like if you beat it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter, but they said that the margin of victory was capped to try to incentivize teams not to run up the score. But the thing is they account, <laughs> but, but the thing is they account offensive and defensive efficiency. So if you're up by 20 points, you're still, you're still incentivized to be as efficient as possible and get the most points per possession possible. So it's kind of incentivizes you to run up the score because if you're up 30, it's better to, for you to, run up the score and win by 40 than it is to let the other team back in the game and only win by 20. So even though they said they, they have, they, by capping the margin of victory, that they're kind of not incentivizing running up the score. Um, just the fact that they, they put offensive and defensive efficiency and means that um, uh, you kind of have to keep playing your best. And I, I, I do wonder if that's uh, that's factored into Mike White's decision. I am certain it has played into the decision of a lot of other coaches that have, uh, kind of continue to, to run starters out um, kind of to the final buzzer, even when the game's out of hand. Yep. I would agree with all that as well. And we have uh, one other question, which is uh, Gate of 808 wants to know, does a win over Georgia guarantee that Florida goes to the NCAA tournament? Um, I think close, <laughs> close. You know, I think it's hard to imagine. Look, I think it's difficult to imagine Florida being 10-win team from the SEC not getting in. So, I think very, very close to stamping a ticket. Yeah, I, I think it would probably do it. I think that they uh, 
yeah, even if they win that one and lose the last two to LSU and, and Kentucky and then lose whatever, whoever they play in that SEC tournament, I, I still think they'd be there um, if they beat Georgia. But uh, just because of yeah, how kind of things shape up. But, um, I mean, I, I think that Florida, to an extent right now, is also just playing for, for seeding and trying to play for a better uh, a better uh, kind of a shake of things once the bracket comes out. So, would I be, uh, you know, would I be a lot more comfortable if they were to beat one of LSU or Kentucky? Absolutely. But, yeah, I think a win about Georgia should, uh, should probably do it. I, I could even see – it's even tougher for me to imagine kind of looking at uh, the kind of how things are in the whole bit even if they were to lose out everything, but I still feel like they could find themselves in a playing game or something. Um, but yeah, I would like them to uh, secure their fate a little, uh, a little more uh, comfortably than that. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's right. And um, that's a good segue to talk about Georgia, uh, a team that I think has gotten a lot better. Um, I know that they're on a colossal losing streak. So um, <laughs> we're still talking about, whether or not a team has gotten better and the reality is that Georgia hasn't won uh, a league game in its last 13 tries. Uh, So they are on a 13 game losing streak, but the last four games all decided by four points or less um, Florida beat them by 10 in Athens in a game that was, it felt a little closer than that. Uh, I guess the good news is that Florida's gotten better too. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, you look at um, LSU, Mississippi State, Mississippi, and Auburn. So, uh, yeah, four. Right, they played good teams. teams. Georgia has played good teams. And they've <laughs> lost to them by a combined four, five, six, eight points. So, yeah, four, four yeah. of the best teams. They've lost all of them, but they've lost four games by a combined eight points. So, I would say that that's, uh, yeah, that kind of shows how, um, yeah, that, or, yeah. Points. Anyways, um, yeah, that just kind of shows how uh, <laughs> how they things could be very different for them. So, uh, and one thing too is that uh, Georgia's been able to uh, to score the ball pretty good these last four games, and that was something that uh, yeah, their offense was just terrible against against Florida. They just couldn't get anything going. So it looks like um, it looks like you like Neil was saying. I, I think that Florida's better too right now than they were in that matchup. Uh, but the big problem for Georgia when they played uh, when they played the Gators was that they couldn't score. And uh, they've kind of scored the ball pretty well. So I'm interested to see. I'll probably watch a little bit of film here and see what to see if they've done anything differently these last few games. Um, but, uh, yeah, we know that, uh, that Georgia does have some pretty good athletes and, uh, and can play pretty tough. So uh, I, I don't think this is uh, going to be the easiest game for the Gators. No, it won't be. Florida, yeah, three of the four games in that span have been in the friendly confines of Stegman. But, you know, they had the one-point loss to Ole Miss. Um, in Oxford, and we all saw how competitive Ole Miss is again, yet again, um, when Florida or when they played Tennessee last night, um, and the controversial uh, ending that wasn't that controversial if, <laughs> if you actually watched right. the play uh, to to in that game. Uh, you know, I was going to ask Eric. I was like, I'm sure. What do you think the one that didn't see? The, the key play in the game was a charge call uh, that came 30 feet away from the basket. And I was going to ask Eric as a coach, like there's a 0% chance that Rick Barnes told Admiral Schofield to go and try to take a charge up there. Right? No, I do not think that's a play. That's it. Uh, that is a dangerous play <laughs> to force to force down the official's hand. But I mean, uh, like you said, I think the ref made the right call. I don't, I don't, and I don't even really think it was particularly close. <laughs> so, so Georgia, um, has been really balanced in terms of their scoring in this four game stretch where they've, you know, they've really challenged people. Um, they're getting, you know, really good player right now from junior guard, Jordan Harris, who's a guy who shoots the three pointer at a pretty high clip. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's shooting at 43% out there. That's pretty good. Um, it, Turtle Jackson has been distributing and, and really bought into Tom Crean saying, you know, you're a big body. You can get into the paint, draw help, but you're not a great shooter. So we can use you to distribute. Um, but then everything really does still begin and end with, with Claxton, uh, the big gangly, big, the gangly big that they have who, who actually leads them in scoring, rebounding, block shots, and assists per game. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have the time, but I was wondering, like, in America, where there was going to be a player who would lead his team in all those categories. I, I My Pepsi challenge 
would be like, I don't think there's a player in the power six that leads this team in all those categories other than Claxton, but okay. uh, really special, a special player. Say all those stats again. I'm just going to see. I might throw a guess up off the top of my head. I don't know, actually. That's, that's tough. Isn't it, isn't it mind-boggling? Yeah, I'll say yeah, it again. He's, uh, so, he leads, so he leads Georgia in. Nicholas Claxton leads in points per game, 12.8. Rebounds per game, 8.8. Assists per game, 2.0. Steals 1.1 and blocks 2.4. Okay, I'm gonna make I'm gonna hazard a guess. I have not checked it, so uh, I don't know if this is true, <laughs> but I'm gonna take a look at Ethan Happ and see if he okay. I'm not sure he'll be there in steals though. Let's uh, um, <laughs> okay, just a sec. Wisconsin basketball stats, um, but that that is absolutely crazy, and I do think that stopping him is gonna be interesting, and especially when um. When you've got a team like that, that um, that can kind of orchestrate things from down low, it's it's kind of very different than um than you're kind of used to a guard and how do you force it out of out of their hands? So um, okay, so we have Ethan Happ leads his team with 17.9 points. He leads his team with 10.2 rebounds. He leads his team with 4.6 assists. He does not lead in steals, as Brad Davidson, Buzzcut Brad, um, one of the best charge takers <laughs> in the country. Uh, yes, one one he is one. So yeah, I thought I might be able to get it on uh, on, on Ethan Happ, but he's got points, rebounds, assists, um, not not the other categories. There it is. Uh, Florida did a really nice job getting Rayshon Hammonds into foul trouble in the first game. He's kind of the Robin to uh, to to Nicholas Claxton's Batman, um, at least in terms of a guy that's talent scares you. Uh, you know, I mentioned Jordan Harris, who's been playing really. All know Tyree Crump. Gator fans know him a little too well, right? Um, you know he's he's got great range, uh, and he can get hot as a microwave, or he can go one for ten. Um, but but yeah, I mean Hammonds and Claxton are guys that have been pretty productive, and and they've played their best basketball in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's kind of as you look as the, at their numbers on a whole for Georgia. They've been um, they they haven't been a good shooting team, and that's been a lot of their problem. And and yeah, like you kind of said, these last few games they've been able to knock down jump shots, and that uh, that kind of really changes things. And um, just to kind of see whether they if they knock down shots, this is going to be an interesting game. If they don't, um, it should hopefully be less interesting. Uh, but that'll hinge on it a lot for them. But yeah, this is a four. This will be you know their fifth really good opponent in uh, uh, in, in five games, and and obviously they played uh, they played some teams really tough and. Um, I think that that'll hopefully, you know, that, that probably gives them a little bit of confidence. And it kind of pains me to say, too, because um, you remember uh, remember Tom Crean kind of just ripped all his roster and said that, uh, you know, when he said that, like, most coaches that would come to a new team would, like, clean house and he didn't, so he can't get mad at, like, how bad they're playing, essentially. And uh, they actually seem to have played a lot better since that point, and I kind of wish they didn't. But um, just kind of thought that was a very rude way to uh, talk to your team, but... Um, yeah, I do think that uh, I do think that their improved uh, offense recently is going to make uh, going to make this a different team than we saw when they matched up first against Florida back in uh, yeah the middle of January. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's a it's a dangerous game. Um, I would say, you know, the good thing for Florida is I think two things also could potentially work in Florida's favor in terms of those intangibles. One, you know, Georgia hasn't closed out any of these games, and three of them have been at home. Um, and, and the one time they've been on the road, uh, other than Ole Miss in their last five, they went to Texas A&M smashed. Uh, so, so, you know, I guess you never know what team will show up on the road when you're not a great basketball team. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, if I were Mike White, and I'm interested in Eric's kind of take on this, I would challenge my team and say, look, I don't think you've played your best game at home. I think maybe Tennessee – because White's actually referenced their performance at home against Tennessee a couple of times to the media, almost as if he was, you know, hey, we played 38 really fantastic minutes at home, and if we play like that, we, you know, we have a high ceiling, uh, which I think is true, because that was one of the best basketball games in the SEC this year, in my opinion, um, just in terms of the quality of play. But this is a real opportunity for Florida to, to, to you know, go out, Go out and show your home fans how much better you are, because so much of this streak has happened away from home. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you you look at um, and they didn't play well against Missouri. <laughs> no, I was gonna say like um, obviously they had that kind of weird Butler blowout, but I mean that was around Christmas time, so um, I don't know how many of the your kind of season regular season ticket holders and rowdies were there for that one, um, and I wish they were treated to that. 
but uh, yeah, you see that um, you see that they obviously had a tough game against Texas A and M. They had a you know an entertaining old game against Ole Miss in overtime, but probably not one that they uh, you know necessarily deserved to win. Kind of needed some heroics, and yeah, I don't feel like they've ever really played their best basketball at home. And uh, I think that uh, you know. I, Again, I probably don't – I'm going back to this listener question where I talked about this. And I don't know how much Mike White is really going to be like, hey, for our net rankings, we need to be better at ever. But, um, but yeah, like you need to – like once again, in the terms of like a lot of the rankings, um, a four-point win over Missouri at home uh, doesn't actually look that great because that's not going to help out your, your kind of all the metrics that are tied into it. Um, you should have won that game a lot more. And I think that this needs to be like, yeah, we don't just need to – um, just get by Georgia and get this kind of home win against a bad team. Like, no, we need to beat them decisively because we've got LSU coming. Uh, and they, and also we just say, uh, you know, we're trying to get, we're trying to get a better seed here. So um, I, I do hope that it's not seen as uh, let's, uh, let's just kind of survive and, and do what we need to do to come out victorious. It's like, Hey, let's, let's thrive. Let's kind of, let's play our best basketball. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, and that, and to that end, you know, of this stretch where we said the schedule softened for the Gators, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Georgia, this is the quad three loss. This game is the quad three loss. Not Vanderbilt. That would have been a quad two. Not Missouri. That at that point was a quad two. So this is a, this is a chance for Florida to lose a game that's a quad three. And, and you want to avoid that if you're worried about next week where you're going to Rupp, which, you know, as we, as we say, is a scheduled loss. And so, you know, you've got a toss-up game against Louisiana State on senior night. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I kind of forgot that this was the only. Uh, <laughs> I kind of forgot that this was going to be the only <laughs> possibility for a, uh, for a quad three loss. And um, yeah, maybe that affects the way I feel about Florida's you know necessary standing if they don't win this one. But yeah, you shout out to on. shout out to Florida basketball our resident bracketologist Jake Silic for uh, for that reminder. <laughs> that oh, right, Florida okay. could lose a quad for a game. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, that, so yeah, so. that would be devastating. And um, again, I don't want them playing like, oh, this is just a loss we need to avoid, and I'd rather have them just kind of uh, play with some more confidence. But at the same time, yeah, this is a loss they need to avoid. Um, just uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, especially, and, and I do hope that they've kind of seen how uh, how they played some of these other teams tough, and uh, can kind of um, uh, can kind of just play with that kind of fire. But at the same time, I'd say that um, especially when we see. Um, when we see how Florida played against Vanderbilt, um, it seems like Florida has, uh, has done pretty well the second time around. And going back to the last couple seasons, I, I don't know if it's the, uh, the assistants on their scouts or whether it's Mike White, but whatever it is, uh, Florida's done pretty well in their second time matching up with a team. Um, hey, how about the second time they played Butler? Blew them out. So um, I kind of appreciate that uh, they've kind of played really well when they play teams for the second time, which is also a pretty encouraging uh, Got with uh, LSU and Kentucky coming up for rounds two of those, but... Uh, yeah, I, I am expecting uh, expecting a pretty good uh, effort from the Gators. Yep. So, final thoughts before we uh, bid our listeners adieu. Uh, final thoughts? Uh, not not so much. I'm I'm just it's at the point where I'm pretty interested <laughs> always now about uh, as I'm sure many people are about the usage of uh, of Stokes. Um, not not so much last night, and uh, though we definitely got a shots in the short period, but um, I'm interested to see uh, if if Stokes is going to be. Um, the player that a lot of people think Stokes, uh, you know, Stokes should be. Um, I think he's got to go against teams like Georgia and be really effective. He's got to be able to go against Derek Ophede, another really, really big body, um, or a Nicholas Claxton, a, a really long guy, and uh, be able to get his own, to be able to get a shot against those kind of guys. So um, I would say that if you're Stokes, this is your time to, uh, to earn yourself some more minutes. So that's going to be a, um, it's not the matchup that I think this game kind of hinges on, but it's one that I'm interested in. Yeah, I like it. I like the idea of of Florida being needing to be mentally ready for Georgia's physicality, um, and, and that includes both Dante Bassett and Isaiah Stokes, who who are going to have to give Florida minutes uh, if the Gators are going to stretch his things. Because Gators have pretty clear advantage at guard, um, but you know, can they, do they get in a situation where they're bully balled? So that would be my final thought. And 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 on top of it, I'll just say this that that. Uh, Florida has a chance for 20 wins. They've had one season um, this decade where they have failed to win 20 games. Uh, they've won 20 in every other season. There's only nine other high major programs. Or sorry, I don't know. I wrote I wrote it down wrong. There are only nine other programs um, in America that have uh, that many 20 win seasons this decade. 
the list is a who's who of college basketball awesomeness. Um, Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Florida. Um, so it's a pretty savage list, Michigan State and Michigan. There it is. So if you can get there, um, you know, that'd be awesome. I think in order to get to 20, to feel confident that Florida gets to 20, they kind of need to win this game. It's a good thing you didn't just uh, ask me just um, I, about what those teams were because I was probably going to uh, – I was going to guess that that Kentucky team that um, uh, didn't make the NCAA tournament wouldn't have hit uh, 20 wins, but I just looked it up. And they- well, they didn't, but but all but one season. So Yeah. Um, that, the, yeah, so like the, the giving the one-year grace period actually saved Kentucky as well, and it saved North Carolina, actually. Oh, that's in, yeah, well, I mean, and that shows you just um, how tough that is where it's uh, – even teams like that, <laughs> even at their – um, even if they're kind of like heights, I guess, because once again, I mean, when uh, uh, when Kentucky has a, has a tough season that sees that they uh, miss the NCAA tournament and, and then lose to Robert Morris in the NIT, I mean, that's a team with uh, with Willie Cauley-Stein and Erlens Noel and and Kyle Wiltshire. So they've got you know some really good college players and some uh, some future pros. And uh, yeah, just so to see Florida on that list is is pretty big, and it'd be uh, it'd be great to see them stay there. All right, everybody, we will be back um, with a show to preview senior night, uh, Kayvon Allen night at Zach Tick Arena. But, but work to do before we get there. And Kavarius Hayes night, sorry. Well. Thanks, everybody. Jalen Hudson night? No. <laughs> <laughs> just say no Jalen Hudson night. <laughs> Max Krause night. Oh, yeah. oh Max Krause, I, I get him a bobblehead. Oh my gosh, please give me Max Krause Bobblehead.